Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name's Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. My guest today is one of the great innovators of popular music, blending blues, rock, jazz, and funk into his own unique creation. I suppose it's only appropriate that one of his most enduring songs is named Frankenstein. Oral amalgamation is his specialty. He's a veteran of Woodstock, an early synth pioneer, and a master of many instruments. In short, he's a rock and roll hero. And now he's using his formidable talents to honor his own hero, older brother Johnny Winter, the legendary axe man who died in 2014. After years spent processing his grief, he's assembled an electrifying new record called Brother Johnny. Due out April 15th, it's less a tribute album and more of a musical biography, charting the course of Johnny's life through 17 songs, these include covers of his old favorites like Johnny Be Good and Highway 61 Revisited, as well as revamped versions of his own songs like Self-Destructive Blues and, of course, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. There are also new original tracks penned in his brother's memory. The album includes an astonishing array of rock and roll heavy hitters who've all turned out to play their best for the late Texas blues icon. Among them are Joe Walsh, Ringo Starr, Joe Bonamassa, Billy Gibbons, Steve Luthiker, Michael McDonald, Keb Moe, Derek Trucks, and Taylor Hawkins, who died shortly after taping this interview. More than just a deeply touching retrospective, it's an album that truly rocks, and I can't wait for you to check it out. I'm so happy to welcome Mr. Edgar Winner.
There was an interview you gave not too long ago where you were asked to define the blues and you defined it as transforming suffering into joy. And I thought that was beautiful. And that phrase stuck with me as I was listening to, to Brother Johnny. I mean, there's a lot of joy coming through on these tracks, but obviously there's this, it's underscored by this, this tremendous loss as well. What was it like for you putting this record together? Was it cathartic for you? It was indeed. I, I spent years not making this record. I was, uh, well, first of all, shortly after Johnny's death, uh, I had a number of requests, uh, you know, to do a tribute album. And I was just adamantly opposed to doing it. I, I was devastated by Johnny's death and uh, it just didn't feel like the right time. It, and, and it seemed like exploitation of, of Johnny's name. I just wasn't ready. You know, to, to be honest, and uh, and it took it took a number of years. But what started that process was this tour that we did together, uh, which we had been scheduled to do. Johnny was uh, in Europe uh, at the at the time of his death, and there was a thing called the Rock and Blues Fest, and we were both scheduled to appear with our respective bands, and then there would be jamming at the end. And I had just thought. Well, surely this is going to be uh, this is going to be canceled. But much to my surprise, the promoters wanted it to go on as planned with me and my band as the headliners. And I thought, oh, this is this is this could be brutal. This could be very difficult and uh, highly emotional. And uh, the uh, I'll never forget the first night of that tour after I did Frankenstein. Uh, I did uh, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo and uh, Alive and Well. And uh, I forget Johnny Be Good, three or four of Johnny's songs and dedicate the end of the, of the uh, set to my brother Johnny. And uh, there was a great source of strength and comfort in playing those songs. And everybody on that tour, well, there was so much love and respect for Johnny and everybody would... Uh, would get up to jam at the end and it sort of became a tradition and it helped me realize that that this wasn't simply a question of uh, uh making an album and people sensing a, a business opportunity it was johnny's devoted fans that really wanted to see this happen and uh that that was the beginning of it uh and the people I really want to acknowledge, first of all, my wife, Monique, my lovely wife of 42 years, uh, uh, and we have our first anniversary coming up this month. Oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Not bad for rock and rollers. <laughs> True, yeah. And uh, uh, I trust she's such an intuitive, heart-centered, giving person. I think... Uh, Musicians are pretty self-absorbed in general, and uh, oh, that that was uh, uh, the case with me for many years. But I trust her intuition more than my uh, analytical thinking and reasoning about it. And she said, well, of course, from everything I've ever heard you say, Johnny is your all-time musical hero. And if it weren't for him, you wouldn't be where you are. Today, so you you know you owe that to that that acknowledgement to yourself uh, and 
uh, uh, to Johnny and to the world. And that made perfect sense to me. <laughs> so uh, then the next thing that occurred was I met Bruce Corto, uh, who is uh, the president of Corto Valley Records, which is a small custom label. And uh, he honestly and sincerely, he loves Johnny. He wanted to bring that music to the world for all the right reasons. And he said, Edgar, you can have as long as you want and, and do it exactly however you want. You know, I may have opinions from time to time, but uh, this, is, this is up to you. So uh, I knew he was the right person to make the album. And thirdly and finally, I want to thank Ross Hogarth, the uh, engineer, mixer, and producer. It was really a co-creation. And Ross, uh, I worked with on my last album, Rebel Road. Uh, and uh, when we completed that project, I said in my mind and heart, I'm never going to work with, an, with another uh, mixer other than Ross. He was just the greatest. And he was uh, just, uh, he, as I said, loves Johnny as much as I do and is as familiar with his material. And uh, I hadn't realized the extent to which Ross was going to become involved. I just had him as the engineer mixer. But uh, we really ended up, it's really a co-created album. And he suggested so many people uh, brought so many great people into the project. Uh, Phil X, for example, who plays with Bon Jovi. Who I, I knew who he was, but uh, I was not that uh, familiar uh, with his playing. Uh, people like uh, David Grissom, who a fellow Texan and, and great guitarist. Uh, he also suggested John McPhee to do the slide on, on Highway 61 when we were trying to think of, of uh, slide people. Uh, Doyle Bramhall, uh, you know, to do the acoustic uh, the version of When You Got a Good Friend, which uh, Johnny always had one of those those beautiful old style Delta acoustic songs. So thank you, Ross. And the, there you have it. That's that's how it all began. And it all began right here in, in Winterland, my little home studio. But I did all the keyboard parts here at home and here's my 67 that I sang all the vocals on and uh you know it I honestly I had thought that it I knew it was going to be emotional and and I thought it might be difficult and uh there was a lot of laughter and some tears along the way but uh it really did turn out to be a joyous experience uh so that's the beginning, so uh, fire away with more questions. Oh, I mean, it, just, it comes across as such a celebration. And just the structure of the album is so cool because these songs chart the course of Johnny's life. In the sense, it's like a, a musical biography. And for anyone who loves music, you kind of, you love playing that game with yourself of sort of tracing songs back to the beginning to find out, you know, what the songs were that first got you hooked on music. What was the process like for you of choosing the songs that you were going to include on this album? Uh, it was very interesting. The first question in my mind was, should I do a straight-ahead blues record, a traditional blues record, and just uh, pay tribute to the great legacy that Johnny left 
the world, or should it be a, a more personal dedication from me to my brother based on my own particular personal favorite? And uh, I decided it, it, it should be a balance of both. And, uh, you know, Johnny, Johnny always encouraged me uh, to follow my heart uh, with music. And I love uh, jazz and classical as well as blues and country and rock and uh, all, pretty much all style. I think uh, when it came to uh, selecting the songs, I feel like Johnny had more depth and scope than a lot of people realize. And his first love, obviously, was the blues. And his authenticity as a, as a blues player, particularly his slide guitar, was the thing that most impressed me, uh, I think, unparalleled. I don't, I can't think of anybody who really, I mean, our musical tastes were somewhat different. But when it came to selecting the songs, I thought, well, there are obvious songs that people associate with Johnny, the uh, songs like Still Alive and Well and Rock and Roll Huchiku that are just uh, absolute songs that you, you, you couldn't imagine doing an album without those. And then there are all of those songs that Johnny became associated with uh, over the years, songs like uh, like Jumpin' Jack Flash that he played with Johnny Winter and which I thought was just a great rock band. And uh, Highway 61, he he loved Dylan, he loved the Stones, and uh, I I didn't uh, I couldn't imagine leaving those out. And then there were songs like. Uh, uh, more obscure songs, like Stranger, for example, which I think is a beautiful ballad and very uncharacteristic of of the style that Johnny usually writes in. And it reveals uh, a sensitive, vulnerable side that that you don't usually see uh, in in Johnny. And uh, uh, then, you know, uh, self-destructive blues uh, was always my favorite Johnny Shuffle, and he did, he loved shuffles, and he, you know he did a lot of the traditional blues shuffles. But I love that one because it it has a great sense of humor, and and it's it uh, you know to to talk about uh, that's what the blues is. It's it's telling your story, and to write that song, self-destructive blues, was just so cool to me. And it's got a great is a, a great riff, uh, just always more, one of my favorites. Uh, then uh, I had to do Drown in My Own Tears uh, was the most emotional song on, on the album uh, for me. Uh, I had always felt like Johnny did that song, especially for me at the time. It was on his first uh, CBS album. And uh, he knew how much I loved Ray Charles. Ray Charles was was my inspiration, and uh, Johnny loved the old Delta blues that people like, like Lightning Hopkins and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy, of course. Uh, 
And I gravitated more toward the urban style of blues, people like Ray Charles and Bobby Blue Bland and, and uh, uh, O.T. Bone Walker, uh, guys like that, B.B. Uh, King. Uh, and he asked me, uh, and it was so, it surprised me because uh, he said, Edgar, can you, you know, just uh, write out the horn chart just like Ray did it and play the piano. And uh, he said, I just want to do it that way, just like Ray did it. There's not even any guitar on it. But I always felt like like he did it for me because he he wanted me to be able to express something on that album in the style that he knew I loved. So when it came time for me to do that song on this album, uh, I I felt like like I was singing it back to him the way he sang it to me so many years ago when he was so young and alive, and not only to him but to my mother and father who have passed on and all the past members of bands that, that I've had the honor to share the stage with. Uh, I'm the last surviving member of the Edgar Winter Group. Uh, Dan Hartman, and Ronnie Manchos, Chapra uh, are all gone. Uh, Jerry LaCroix, the lead singer in White Trash. But, you know, I really broke down doing that song, uh, uh, but got through it and uh, and you talked about was it cathartic absolutely and and uh i uh after doing that it was a very uh uh transcendent freeing sort of uh uh purifying experience uh that i felt you know after after having done that song uh and i should mention there are two songs on the album that i wrote uh, one of them being Lone Star Blues, which features Kebmo, and uh, uh, the last one on the album. End of the Line. That's one of my favorite tracks on there. Oh my gosh, it's an amazing song. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, one of the things that, that, I, that I wanted to express that I, that I doubt most people are aware of, but uh, one of the main differences between Johnny and I growing up was that he had that dream. He had the drive and the determination. As far back as I can remember, he wanted, he was going to be a star. He watched Bandstand and, and he read all of magazines. He had a huge record collection. He knew everybody that played on, on every song. And he was Johnny Cool Daddy Winner with the <laughs> pompadour. And the Johnny and the Jammers. Yeah, Johnny and the Jammers. And I was like the quiet kid that played all the instruments. And, I never wanted to be famous. I never dreamed of being famous. Uh, the point being that that Johnny had this this dream, and having worked all his life to attain this, when he finally achieved it and had uh, seemingly everything—recognition, fame, adoring fans—it uh, wasn't what he expected. And I remember him saying, Edgar, I never thought it would be like this. It's like, I feel so isolated and, and alone. I don't know who to talk to and, and uh, who to trust. It was like one of those be careful what you wish for uh, scenarios. And uh, for me, it was, it was uh, 
he went through a difficult period and uh you know that that disillusionment he resolved uh i think after he went through the whole rock era with Johnny Winter and he had basically he loved the blues but and he and he's a great rock player and he was always encouraged by management and the record companies to go more in a rock direction uh yet his heart was always with the blues and after that period he rededicated himself to the blues and i feel resolved that in in his mind the last the last time i saw him i remember having that specific feeling is he seemed at peace as though uh you know all all of that was behind him and and i think he came to appreciate uh everything that he had done throughout his career but in the song lone star blues i tried to write that in that particular voice the way johnny felt at that time and uh and when kebmo decided to to do the song which uh, now here's another example of how of course i didn't know kebmo and ross did the tajmo album with taj mahal and so they had worked together and uh he uh put us in touch and just set up a hello get acquainted call and i and i i told kebmo about the song and he said yeah that's uh well, let me let me hear it you know and all i had on it was a sort of a, a simulated slide guitar that i played on the keyboard and a vocal and kebmo completely tore it down and started over and he put all all the instruments on but when i heard him sing that when he sang the choruses uh it it like when i wrote it it was just in in that voice that voice of the young johnny that was confused and disillusioned but when kebmo made it a duet and he had come in sound like the lone star blues it just introduced this note of compassion he sort of became like the the old wise blues man that was like saying uh that was empathizing and saying yeah you know it can it can get tough but it's going to be all right and i thought that was just so beautiful and then uh, after i heard him every time every time he came in it was like the whole thing came to life and i was like well i was born in bomart you know in this johnny style and then that sounded just completely uh completely wrong and uh, so i redid my vocal in more of of uh, that sort of uh with more warmth and more of a uh, heartfelt storytelling thing and you know thank you kebmo for for doing that he completely transformed that song in, into something really beautiful so uh there you have it You mentioned Johnny's roots. I I love that you opened the album with Mean Town Blues. I just think it's such a perfect opener because it's such an amazing fusion of of the Delta blues he loved, but then everything new that he brought to it and brought to that style too. I thought that was such a cool jumping off point for the the rest of the record. 
thank you, thank you. You know, we I had no idea how it was going to come out. I selected a lot more songs than we ended up using. I didn't know for sure what was going to end up on and off. And uh, I, I didn't select songs with the idea of a particular artist in mind. I didn't want anybody to do a song that they didn't passionately believe in and want to sing. And I would usually give everybody at least four or five, you know, three or four or five choices. Uh, and uh, many times, like uh, when I asked uh, Joe Bonamassa, now uh, uh, Ross knew Joe really well, and I'd played shows with Joe and we'd talk in passing, but I was reading a list of songs. And when I said self-destructive blues, Wow, you're really going to do self-destructive? That was the first Johnny song I ever learned, and I played that with my band. That's the one I want to, you know, that's the one I want to do. And uh, same thing with Warren Haynes. When I, as soon as I said memory pain, he, wow, you can stop right there. That's that's the Johnny song for for me. And you know, it was. Uh, I didn't want to make a sound alike album, and I never, I never asked anybody to, you know, to try to play like Johnny. I just wanted great artists doing songs that they really wanted to do as a tribute to Johnny. And I mentioned before, like if I had done it just entirely as a straight-ahead blues album, I don't think Johnny would have liked that. Uh, I think he would have said. Well, you know, why are you suddenly like, you know, trying to uh, play everything in my exact style? That's not you. Uh, and uh, like, I think all uh, all of these artists uh, brought something special uh, and really offered heartfelt performances that were honest. And I don't think you can, you you know, you can't expect any more than that. but. Uh, I think Joe Bonamassa, out of all the guitarists, he, he seemed to channel Johnny in a way to get inside uh, Johnny's style. Johnny had this sort of relentless uh, excitement uh, in his playing. I used to call him the Coltrane of, of blues rock. Wow, yeah. That's an incredible, yeah. I love that. What... It, what that means, I don't know if you're familiar with Coltrane, but Coltrane could extend himself as a soloist, and it was it was this uh, unending, inventive stream of consciousness. Uh, you know, one idea after another. Most people would play four or five courses; he could play twenty, and uh, that's the way Johnny was when it came to rock and roll jamming, like. Uh, and you know that was another thing I thought. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm making too much of a musician's album because there there are a lot of long extended solos, and that can be self indulgent on on the part of musicians. Uh, but I just can't I can't help it. I uh, I this to me this album sounds like albums that were made in the seventies when there were groups like Cream. And they, those guys, they came to play. We're going to yeah. play, and that's the way Johnny was. And uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. That's what Johnny did. And so, of course, 
there's going to be uh, a lot of that on there. But Joe uh, was just amazing in that sense. On uh, Mean Town Blues, I didn't know if he could do the slide like that. When I heard him play, when I heard him play self-destructive blues, I was just floored. I I couldn't. When he walked in, and he had said he, yeah, I knew the song, and and it that one was just just easy. He just walked in and did it. And when he started to play, I just closed my eyes. It was just like Johnny was in the room. I couldn't believe it. And then when I, when it came time to try to find somebody to do Mean Town, I always thought that was going to be the hardest song to duplicate. And like you said, when I heard that song, I said, wow, what is this? It's sort of like this electric boogie Delta blues fusion thing. I'd never heard anything like it before, uh, nor do I think uh, anyone else had. But uh, that sort of became the template. Uh, I loved Johnny's early writing because that was what he was so cool at taking all of these old traditional blues riffs and then presenting them like in uh, uh, in an electric kind of format, you know, that... Uh, it made it like a, a completely different kind of thing. Uh, and man, Joe, uh, he told me, he said, when I asked him to do it, he said, well, that'll be a challenge. And uh, he, he took a while. He said, you know, give me a couple of weeks. And, and uh, man, I, once again, we, we, that one was, was not as, uh, as naturally easy. Uh, we had to work at, uh, I remember in the beginning, in the middle of that session, he said, there is something about it. He actually stopped the session, went out and bought a thumb pit <laughs> that Whoa. Johnny played with. He, he said, there's just, a, it doesn't have the weight. It doesn't have this Johnny. There's something missing. And he said, maybe, maybe, and he had never played with a thumb pit before. Uh, and, uh, and by the time he finished that, it, it was just unbelievable. And we decided to, I, I just think it epitomizes uh, Johnny, who he was at that particular time in, you know, in his early, early career. And it's the per- perfect fusion of, of that old traditional blues with, with something uh, completely different, uh, unique, and uh, very original on Johnny's part. You know? I mean, I, I love that you included this absolutely ripping cover of Johnny Be Good. I mean, you, you got those Johnny Johnson riffs on the piano. I mean, it is just, it is so great. I mean, and that really, I mean, I, reading the liner notes, that sounds like that really was kind of the, uh, your big break in a way when you were kids playing on the, the Johnny Melody contest. Like that sounds like that song was a really pivotal moment for, for both you and Johnny. It was indeed. That's why Johnny did it. And like, if you think of that, well, it seems so obvious. You think, well, uh, Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good. It's a Johnny Winter tribute. Uh, but, uh, I, uh, thanks for you've obviously done your homework and, uh, reading the liner notes, but that song had a very special personal significance to us because, uh, as you were telling the story, uh, when we were kids and had our first band, Johnny and the Jammers, there was this local contest. And 
Johnny B. Good was the hottest song we knew. So we went on, uh, we entered, we played it, we won. And first prize was getting to make your very own record. So uh, that's so cool. You know, there, uh, there was a studio called Gulf Coast Recording there in Beaumont. And this guy named Jack Clement, who he worked with Johnny Cash. He was a real a country guy. Uh, and uh, uh, Roger Miller. Uh, people like that. And, uh, you know, had it not been for the song Johnny Be Good, uh, who knows? But, you know, that's it's not only Johnny's story. It's the story of every young kid coming from humble beginnings who has that dream, just like Johnny did, and picks up a guitar, you know, dreaming of, of making it one day. But, uh, yeah, that, that had to be on there. Oh, and, and I forgot to mention... Uh, End of the line. Uh, I had all, like finished almost all, but finished the album when I I realized that that there was really not uh, it had all these great Johnny songs, but there was n- not really a single Edgar song on the album, and uh, I just felt like I needed to add my voice in a and in every album I've ever made. There's always, I think of albums sort of as uh, uh, snapshots uh, of a period in your life. And there's always been a song on each album that I tried to uh, explain that had the most the and deepest personal significance for me and whatever I was going through at that time. Uh, uh, in many cases, like on Rebel Road, there was a song on uh, The Further I Go, The Closer I Get to You that I wrote for my wife, Monique, on uh, on uh, on uh, White Trash, Dying to Live. Uh, I always try to put one on, and I knew this, this album didn't have one. And, you know, sometimes you don't know uh, why you write a song, but just the uh, the title flashed into my mind, into the line, and it, you know it's bluesy. And as I started to write it, I I uh, I be- began to realize, wow, I'm I'm writing about the end of the winter family line, and that hadn't occurred to me when I thought of of the title. Uh, but the, you know the last verse uh, uh, songs may end or just fade away, but the music never dies. Uh, that's that's the idea that I wanted to get across uh, in the song, uh, and uh, I wanted to make it. Uh, I hope all all of you will excuse my doing a more. Uh, I, I wanted to do it with just piano and strings. And I could have, I thought about doing it more like a blues, like more like a gospel blues song with, with organ and like maybe a choir. There, there are a number of ways you could have done that song. But like I said, Johnny always used to encourage me. I think he liked it most when I was playing, uh, when I was playing uh, jazz and classical things that he felt were closest to my heart. So I, uh, I thought that's the way he would have wanted me to to do the song, and I feel that way about about the whole album. It's not the album Johnny would have done, but 
I, I think it's the album that he would want me to do for him as his brother. That, and that's what I tried. That's what I, it's just pure, purely an expression of love and admiration for my brother, Johnny, who I've always looked up to and always will. Um, an interview you gave recently where you said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, um, if it wasn't for Johnny, I would have been a, a struggling jazz musician or maybe an engineer. What was it that, that Johnny taught you about songwriting? Are there still lessons that he taught you about writing a song that you still hold dear that you, you know, whenever you sit down to write, they still are at the front of your mind? Um, well, he opened that door for me in the, uh, my first album, the Entrance album, was the closest Johnny and I ever came to a collaboration. And we had just done Woodstock, which changed my life, completely changed my ideas about music. Uh, that's another story. But uh, the, to answer the question that, that, you, uh, that you just put before me, uh, I thought of myself more uh, as a musician then. Uh, uh, well, I, <laughs> I thought of myself as a serious musician. Thankfully, I've gotten over that uh, <laughs> to some degree. But, but like I said, I love jazz and classical and stuff that I considered serious music. And, uh, and uh, whereas Johnny wanted to be a star, I just always wanted to be a better musician. And uh, whereas Johnny was outgoing, uh, I was, he was the extrovert and I was the introvert. I sort of withdrew into my own private world of music. And uh, therefore, when I did the first album, I didn't think I was a songwriter. I had all of these ideas. Uh, and I didn't really, I'd never tried to write lyrics. And so uh, Johnny wrote a lot of, of the lyrics. And uh, I started to change and modify some of the things. But he wrote things like that you would never expect Johnny uh, to write. Like uh, when the sun changes the blue into gray and New York acts just the way that L.A. does. People change, saying you're different and strange. Sufficient enough, you remain while your friends just keep putting you down, wondering why they keep hanging around about you without you. And then I came up with, now is the time, a new day is just beginning. But it was like trying to modify a lot of the lyrics that he wrote was how I learned uh, to write and even uh, began to have the feeling that uh, 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 it actually caused me to develop an interest in writing. Now I love writing lyrics and uh, I just love the whole aspect of, uh, of writing. It's just one of the most rewarding things that, 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 uh, that you can do. And as you mentioned, it, it's very cathartic, but uh, I, I'm, I write a lot of poetry now, uh, 
I have enough poetry for a book. I have a whole series of short stories that uh, occur in this uh, this mythical uh, realm called the Shadowlands. Uh, and I just love writing, and I'm I'm doing it uh, all the time. And uh, I think Johnny, by just a simple example of doing it, I was amazed because he had never really thought that much, or or you know. Uh, I'd never seen him devote a lot of attention to writing, and he just seemed naturally to be able to do it. And uh, when we started doing it together, uh, that's that's how the whole thing began. So I learned it all from John. This is a question that's going to betray the fact that I've never written a song in my life, even though I, I play music, I've never been able to to write. And whenever I'm, I'm lucky enough to speak with people who are blessed with that ability to write music, I'm always so curious, what compels them to do it? Is it a, a desire to connect with other people or is it to just express something and almost expel it from out of you, almost like an exorcism? And if you were on a desert island somewhere, you'd be writing just as much because it's all about just getting it out of you. Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it is. It is all of that. Uh, I tend to write most of my music in that sort of alpha state, either just drifting off to sleep or when I'm just coming back into awareness uh, in the morning. I dream a lot of songs. Uh, and wow. I, I think that uh, for me, uh, it's hard to it's hard to try to write. It's not an unnatural people like just like you said. If if you've never felt like you ought to just sit down and and write a song, some or just write a write a poem or write a story or write anything, and you'll then you'll understand exactly what it is. But if you just clear your mind, it's sort of like it's sort of like meditation. Uh, you can't put some if there's something else already there uh it's it's hard to put something uh to displace something that is already there but uh if you just relax your mind and uh uh and try to uh clear it then thoughts will come into it and all you have to do is just put those down whatever they may be and the the whole trick to that is you're immediately tempted to start uh, t- judging whatever it is that comes up and say, well, is it? I don't think that's good. I, that's not good enough or this. That. But just go ahead and go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, it, it's it it's not really a magical thing. Like if you stop and think about it, we're having a conversation right now. You are creatively engaged you don't know what you're going to say in uh, and i don't know what i'm going to say in response to what you say we're having a, a conversation and that's all that's really all writing is it's, it's not a a, a a mysterious or a magical thing it's really easy it's being present it sounds like that sounds like a big big part of it just being present in the moment and seeing whatever you respond to yeah that's that's true Oh, well, thank you for that. That is, uh, I will, uh, you have my word that I will, I will try to put that to good use. Oh man, I, I could, 
I could speak to you all day. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I, I, my, just to, to end on, I have a question that, that I don't know the answer to. So if I don't know the answer to it, I probably have no right to really ask it, but I'd be interested to hear what you say anyway. Um, what is it about music that makes it such a powerful medium to transmit emotion? You know, it, we, we, we found even in, in times in, when we were living in caves trying to survive as a species, we still find ancient remains of, of ancient primitive instruments. So clearly this was a priority even when we were just struggling to feed ourselves and live. And it's, I think that's one of the great mysteries of humanity. We've had music for so many thousands of years and... I don't know why, and I don't know what it is about, about music that, that touches people in such a special way. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'll start. Uh, uh, in another interview, uh, someone asked me uh, a, another question, which relates to, to this one in a way. They asked me, what is your first memory of music and i wow. thought wow that's a good question what what is that i when i had to cast my mind back and try to remember when was the first time i remember music and identifying and what i came up with it took it, it, it took a while but this was before i could talk because there weren't any words connected with it but i i was safe and warm and comfortable and i was nestled in my mother's lap and i remember just hearing this beautiful sensation just uh wrapping around me and flowing all through me and around me and i didn't know what it was i didn't uh have a word for it uh now i know that it was music but uh she was playing the piano and I said, I've got to get to that sound. What and I was able to sort of peek up uh, between her arms over the edge of the keyboard and I could see these hands making these beautiful, graceful movements. And then as I, I was just enthralled in this experience and I said, oh, there's those, the hands, uh, there's some correlation between Th those hands and this sensation they they they're making this sound and it was the most uh uh profound uh it's one of my first not only my first memory of music but one of my first memories of wow. any any kind that i and i think that uh since that time i've asked a lot of people that question and m most people it's like something mechanical like a song they heard on the radio or a <laughs> record or something and for me i think that that explains so much of my feelings about music our whole family was musical my my dad uh played uh guitar and banjo he played alto sax in a swing band in his youth and he he sang in the choir and he had a barbershop quartet that would come over to the house and sang and my mother uh, sang and played beautiful piano everybody in our family was musical but uh to finally get to the your question about what it is it what is it i think essentially that that life is a spiritual quest 
And I think that there is a, a spiritual connection with music, at least for me. And it's really, it's, it's very simple. It's the, the reason music is as powerful as it is, is uh, because you lose your sense of self within something beyond yourself. When you sit down to play music or when you're listening to a great performance of music, and it's the same thing uh, as a sports person being in the zone. You're, uh, you're entirely beyond yourself or like losing yourself in a, a, a great book. Uh, for that moment in time, all your cares and troubles and the things that uh, you can go along with everyday living are forgotten and uh, you're transported. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's why people, that's why I love to play music is because I love that feeling of, of release uh, and, and freedom that, that I get. Uh, and and it's on both sides, either either making it or listening to it. Uh, and I I don't I don't think I can explain it to any any better than in those words. So I think that is I think maybe the most beautiful description of music I could possibly conceive of. It's suspended in something divine. I think that is uh, perfect. Thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> Edgar, thank you so much for your time today, your, your thoughtful answers, and most importantly, thank you for your music. It's been such a, a joy speaking to you. I, it's such an honor. I, I'm such a fan of your work. Thank you so much. You're so very welcome, Jordan. And just in closing, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our fans that have followed uh, my career as well as that of my brother Johnny's throughout all of these years. Uh, we could not have done it without you. And uh, we love you all. And uh, it's meant the world to us to uh, be able to do what we most love and see you all out there rocking and having a great time. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to make this album not only a tribute to Johnny, but a, a tribute to the, to the blues and to guitar tried to, uh, to make a great guitar album so if you know if you if you love the blues or if you just love guitar and especially if you love johnny you're gonna love brother johnny so uh we love you all and get ready to rock and roll we hope you enjoyed this episode of inside the studio a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.